Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. I know when I encounter these kinds of stories where Jesus' presence made all the difference in the world, I'll push back and say, Jesus, I wish, I wish you were here right now with me physically. Uh, I wish that my storm was literally a storm and I was literally in a boat and Jesus was literally there. And, and in a moment's time, his word settles the storm and settles the waves. And yep, I'm admonished. That's fine. I'm admonished as well for my lack of faith. Uh, you know, when I encounter, when I talk to folks uh, who are going through maybe all kinds of different storms. And some, maybe they're very short-term, and other people, it's, it's long-term, multi-even generational kinds of things. That's the pushback I'll get when I, when I try to encourage with uh, uh, the idea of, hey, you know, Jesus' presence is, is in this situation, and, and that person's rebuke to me is, is, well, I don't feel it. I don't feel it. And, you know, the, the story you point to of Jesus healing uh, Jesus healing someone or Jesus uh, uh, calming the storm. Uh, I wish Jesus was here right now to calm my storm. And, and, you know, we see this kind of thing play out on the screen and we read it in Scripture and we think, man, if, if only Jesus were literally physically with us, if only we were in a boat and if only it was just a physical storm we would be dealing with, all would be well. And you know what? That's true. We... we do not have the physical presence of Jesus, but we have his spiritual presence. We have his word. We have each other. And that's an important factor that many of us forget to realize. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And within God's word, we have some critical promises critical promises that the Lord has given to us to take throughout this world. One of the promises that is just so blatantly powerful that it's worth our time to consider today is found in Isaiah chapter 54, verse 10. And the prophet says this, the prophet Isaiah is speaking on behalf of God, and he says, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. An amazing promise here. God's saying the, the earth can be leveled. The hills can be shaken. The, hill, the mountains can be destroyed. But even if something as cataclysmic as that that occurs in this world, we can have confidence in knowing that God's love is with us and know that God's peace is there for us to take on, our, on, be, on ourselves. We can, we can count on that. But the question is, how do I own this? Because it's, it's one thing to, to be able to read the passage and recognize and say, yep, yep, I see it there. I, I see that passage there. But it's one thing to, to read it. It's one thing to acknowledge it. It's another thing to actually own it, isn't it? It's another thing to actually take that promise and claim it for yourself and claim it on behalf of your life and on behalf of your situation. 
So how do we do that? That's what we're going to talk about today. How do we go about the, the prospect or the, the premise, the idea of, of owning the peace that God has for us, owning the sense that God is with us in this life? I think the, the first thing we need to do is define peace because that's kind of an elusive subject. You put five people in a room and you're, you ask them, hey, define peace for me. Guess what? You're going to have probably eight different definitions, right? It's, it's kind of, you know, every person's peace, every man, every woman, every child's sense of peace is going to be a little bit different. And, and we're just going to play a little game today, a little thing here to kind of analyze how we view peace. Uh, Think of peace as like a meter that's in your life, and it goes up and it goes down with different situations in life, right? And so we're going to show some different scenes here on the screen, and, and we're going to all play along. You know, I'm not going to call on any individual unless I see that an individual is refusing to play along, and then, and then I'll make you feel awkward, right? So, you know, just a thumbs up if you go, yeah, right now my sense of peace, my sense of peace is going up, and right now a thumbs down if... My sense of peace is, is plummeting when you see these images pop up on your screen, okay? Very visceral. This is very just gut feeling. As a matter of fact, I realize right now every introvert, just even at the sense of the prospect of you might be getting called on, your peace is plummeting right now in this very moment. I understand that. But let's go ahead and Cliff, show the first picture here. Ah, ah. Now, how many people, some of us would... Say, yeah, peace, peace is going up. I don't see anybody's hands where their peace is going down. I, I thought the possibility is someone breaks out in, in tears because they're like Elsa and my mom and dad died in the ocean, you know, or something like that, you know, and the ocean brings bad memories. But for most of us, this is like, oh, I, could, I, would, I would pay big bucks right now to, to be in a place like this, right? Okay, so peace is going up for most of us. Now, the next, the next scene, go ahead. Busy work environment, right? Just constant movement, shuffled papers everywhere, phone calls going on around you. Yeah, just boy, I feel the anxiety rising right now when I see a guy on a phone. You know, this is like what is this? Some kind of brokerage firm or something like that, and uh, you know, have markets and, and just very yeah, anxiety kind of coming up. What's the next picture, Cliff? Now, for me, some people would sit back and go, oh, I don't know, I'm scared of the water. But for me, one of the most comfortable things, the thing that I love to do in the summer, matter of fact, Dana was reminding us uh, this, past, uh, this past weekend, Friday, that just in a few weeks, boating season is starting back up. The lake season is here upon us again. And for me, yeah, just riding around on a boat and not even doing anything just dry, just, is just relaxing and comfortable. Yeah, okay, next, next one. Oh, just imagine a birthday party, pirate-themed birthday party, 29 four-year-olds and hanging around you for, the, for just a short three hours of your day is all it is. But just imagine how many people are going to be going for the Excedrin by halfway through it, right? My piece is going down. Yep, you love them, you love them, but you don't love, I love mine, I don't love yours, right? Let's just face it. Let's just face it. That's the way it is, right? Okay, next one. Oh, it's peaceful, isn't it? Just Wouldn't you just love to maybe put on some, some music in the background or have a book and just sit there in front of that fireplace and just enjoy the evening alone or maybe with your family? You're just, just nice and peaceful, yeah. Do we have another one, Cliff? Is there another one? Oh, there, we'll finish on that one. How many people there just go up, right? Oh, you just immediately sink. 
Think about being in that. See, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say this. I'm trying to say many of us define peace based on our situation that we're in. We say peace is situational. And we'll define peace as either an absence of noise or an absence of conflict. And that's how we define peace. So therefore, we're on a roller coaster, aren't we? Because if, if I can be in an environment where there's no one talking, there's no noise around me, it's just quiet and serene, it's, it's a moment of peace. But if there's noise and it's loud and there's movement, then all of a sudden now my soul is out of kilter. And same thing with our regular lives, right? That if, if we're in a situation where there's an absence of conflict, there is, there is nothing going on that we're, I am at odds with someone around me, then we're in a moment of ah, peace, peace, right? But then as soon as, as, soon as someone, you know, you, you come at odds with your neighbor over, you know, that they, they mowed over your side of the, the property line and they messed up your yard or vice versa, uh, you know, I had a debate, and, and who knows, they might be watching, so I won't say too many jokes about this, but my next-door neighbor was jumping my rear about six months ago because one of my trees... I got turned off because of that. But one of my tree limbs was touching their... was over their property line, right? And I, we had some, some, some firm things to say towards one another, right? And, uh, and, and so now all of a sudden, now I'm not living in a state of peace with my neighbor, am I? And so we define peace like that. It's very situational. It's up and down. It goes all over the place. But you know what? As we look at Scripture, it seems like God defines peace differently than humans do. You see, God does not seem to be defining peace as an absence of noise or an absence of conflict. Pastor John just read that Scripture, and we'll read it again before we conclude today. The reality is we will have conflict. We will have trouble. But but God makes a promise that in the midst of that, we can still experience peace, even in the middle of the most profound crisis, the most existential crisis that you could possibly face, you will still have the ability to have peace in your life. Why is that? How is that? Well, it's because God does not define peace, it seems, as the absence of noise or the absence of conflict, but God seems to be defining peace as him being in the middle of life, his presence is in your life to the point of where no matter what your scenario is, you are receiving strength, comfort, and security. That's what God's definition of peace is. Not that there's an absence of conflict, not that there's just an incredible quietness going on around you, but that whatever is happening in your life, you can experience his presence so that you feel his security, you feel his comfort, you feel his guidance, and you feel his strength. You can experience this. So how? How? Well, the first thing we need to do is we need to start off by accepting, accepting peace with God. Accepting peace with God. You see, as you go through Scripture, you don't have to go very far. We sang today about the creation of the world, how God spoke this world into existence. And not too long into it, His creation, what did we do? We rebelled. We rebelled. We went to war with God. And the Scripture through the pages paints a picture where humanity is at war with God. There is a tension. There is a break. There is a break between a relationship between man, woman, and child and God. 
Some of us don't even have a clue. Some of us are so wrapped up in ourselves. Some of us are so wrapped up in the present and, and what's, what's right in front of us that we don't have a clue. But many people have felt this, and what do they do? They try to create religion. You know, They invent religion as a way of trying to make peace with God. You know what we do? We, we're, we say, okay, okay, I realize I'm at war with God. I realize there is a disconnect. There is a break between me and God. So I will work to, on my end to try to, try to close the gap, to try to, to try to come to terms with this God who I'm at odds with. And we work hard. Some of us work very hard to, to clean ourselves up, you know, to, to make ourselves uh, better and to try to try to please God with our efforts. Friend, I'm going to tell you right now, those efforts are incredibly futile. They, they, it's, basically base, it's basically a criminal saying, I'm going to remain a criminal, but I'll be a little bit nicer criminal, right? Okay. A, a murderer saying, I'm still going to stay a murderer, but I won't kill as many people as I have in the past, right? Or maybe, okay, I, I, this crime is, is horrible. Uh, I won't do that anymore, but I'll do a lesser crime. That person's still a criminal, isn't, isn't he or she? Well, in the same way, when we say, I'm a lawbreaker, I'm a sinner, uh, I'm going to fix myself a little bit, I'm going to clean myself up, but at the end of the day, guess what? We're still lawbreakers and we're still sinners. And so what we have to do is come to terms that we are in a conflict humans and God, because of our sin and rebellion. And as we turn, God gives us a message in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. The Apostle Paul says this, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have what? We have peace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You, you see, the scripture says it's not about you working extra hard, you doing something to make yourself right with God. It's about the fact that you can experience the peace of God through Jesus. And, and he breaks it down. Uh, the writer of, of Romans, his name's Paul, he even goes so far, he, he points here in Romans that it's Jesus who brings peace to us. But he even goes on in Colossians and to another church, he's still, he's speaking the same theme and he spells it out. And he says in Colossians chapter one, verse 20, he says, and through him, Paul is speaking about Jesus here, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood, shed on a cross. You see, Paul is telling us that Jesus is the one who brings peace between humanity and God, not because of our efforts, not because of our work, but because of the fact that Jesus came onto this earth. He lived a human life just like you and I, and he was arrested for a crime he didn't commit and was executed by the state authorities, the execution being death on a cross, and he shed his blood and he died. He died. And Paul points to that death and says, because of the blood that Jesus shed, because of his sacrifice, he provides what? Peace. 
He provides a peacemaking between us and humanity. And our role in this, in this drama is not to add some righteousness to the pot to make it up a little bit higher. No, our role is to accept, accept the peace that God offers us through Jesus Christ. To, to declare an end to the war between God and us. To declare a correction of the relationship between God and us. What was once broken now is fixed if we accept that gift into our lives. So before we can hope to have the kind of peace that we just dream about in this world, we have to make peace. We have to experience the peace that God has made with us through this creation, in this, in this creation. And we have to accept the fact that Jesus died on a cross and he did it so that we would experience peace with God. But not only do we need to start by accepting the peace with God, we need to receive the gift of peace. John speaks into this in John chapter 14, verse 27. This is John, the disciple, listening in on what Jesus is saying to his, to his people uh, towards the end of his ministry. He says, the peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, I do not give uh, you, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, I am here to give you peace. I am leaving you peace. Receive, receive peace. Jesus, Jesus clearly comes into our lives. And one of the things that he leaves behind in life is his peace. And I re realize and recognize today that oftentimes, even after saying this, there's still many hearts troubled, you know? There's still many people saying, yep, I hear what you're saying, Tony. It doesn't make my situation any better. It doesn't make me feel any better. Understand this. Our lack of peace, my lack of peace, your lack of peace, when we experience that, does not make these promises void. It does not make these promises False, it speaks more into what is going on inside of us, okay? It, it helps when, when we find ourselves fearful and troubled. It's, it's not that these promises are void. It's showing us that we have a troubled heart. We have a fearful heart. And here's the deal. We don't have time to, to, to take a U-turn and, and do a second message here, but I'll just say this. The reality is, is we have to deal with our troubled hearts. We have to deal with our fearful hearts, and the first place we start is recognizing that they're there, right? And admitting that that's a part of who we are and begin the process of allowing the healing to take place. We start by putting our hearts and putting our mind upon the Prince of Peace. I go back, we, we started in Isaiah. I want to go back to Isaiah verse 26. Isaiah verse 26 uh, chapter or ver, chapter 26, I'm sorry, verse 3 says this. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. There's one, uh, the ESV, they don't use the word steadfast, they use the word stayed. Those, those whose minds are stayed upon you. You will 
keep. This is, a, this is the prophet. In this case, the context here of the scriptures, the prophet is talking to God and he's seeing something that God does. Only God does this. The prophet is, is realizing, saying that, God, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast. What are they steadfast on? They're steadfast upon God. They are stayed upon God because they trust in you. And verse 4 continues on and says, Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself is the rock eternal. What is, what is this prophet saying? I get the sense that when this prophet, as he is writing this scripture down for the people of God in Israel to read, I get a sense that this prophet is just overwhelmed by the promise that is in front of him. The, pro- the idea that, God, you, pro- you provide perfect peace to your people. Perfect peace to them. Why? Not because those people are smarter than other people. Not because they work or are more diligent than other people. Not because those people are better educated or have more things or have better families or have more money but because their minds are steadfast upon you. And then he goes in, he's like, he breaks off. He, this prophet, is, as, he, as he is realizing and vocalizing that principle, then it's like he breaks from having conversation with God and he turns his attention to the, the people, to people, to us. And he says, trust in the Lord forever. And then he makes kind of a reminder like, Like, this is a big deal because he goes, the Lord, for the Lord. And it's almost like, as he said, the Lord, it's like the understanding of who the Lord is is blowing him away so that he has to say it again, the Lord himself. I I did some research, some some word research in the Hebrew this week because I thought this was important enough. And, uh, and I thought, you know, typically I don't get into the word topics because, let's face it, they're just plain boring. They make for bad preaching, right? But I thought, what's well, interesting that he used the word Lord two times in a row. And so I was prepared to learn that there was like two different names of God being given here. And guess what? No, nope, that's not the way it worked. It was the same name, same name, Yahweh. He, he, in which as I learned through that, as I read many different people, many different thinkers on this, the conclusion was very similar to all these people. They said that basically this guy is overwhelmed with the power and the majesty of God that just to simply say his name one time did not suffice. But he had to show just the emphasis on the power of God at play in a person's life if they would only stay their mind, if they would only make themselves steadfast and say no matter the, no matter what winds are waging, raging around me, no matter what, what rain is beating down upon my life, no matter what kind of waves I am enduring hitting me and rocking my boat, I will stay my mind upon the power of God and on the presence of God as I look to him because it's the Lord, the Lord himself. He is my rock. Not for this moment. He is my rock, not in just good seasons, not in quiet times, 
in peaceful times, in times of economic surplus, in times in which I am copacetic with everyone around me. But in all times, he is the rock eternal. The prophet reminds us, trust in the Lord, not just in the good times, but in the bad times. Trust in the Lord forever. You see, the reality, to have to claim the promise of peace that God gives us, it's ultimately about trust and past experience, I've come to discover. What do you mean trust and past experience, Tony? This is what I'm trying to say. So we're told to trust in the Lord. Well, how do you trust in someone? Think about it. How do I trust you and how do you trust me? Uh, it takes time, doesn't it, to build trust? You'd be very unwise to go to someone that you've never met, someone you've never heard from, someone you've built no relationship with, and say, you know what, I, I'm going to trust you with my in, the thing that I value the most. I'm going to trust you with my family. You know, I would not go to some stranger that I'm walking through the mall and I need to go back to the store because I've forgotten a package and I just find someone that's walking in the mall next to me. And let's face it, as the last you know, 10 years, there are stranger people walking in the mall in southwest Missouri than ever before. Let's just, you know, I guess I'm, I don't know. I guess I'm just, uh, I don't need to make the joke because we go into an awkward turn right now. There's just weird people out there, right? Let's just agree with that. I'm not going to look at one of those weird people and say, would you take, would you watch my son? I got to go back. I got to go back to famous to pick up a package. See, that shows my time. There's no famous anymore, right? I got to go back to famous bar and pick up my acid wash jeans because that's really cool. And I'm going to go buy another Slippery and Wet Bon Jovi album also, right? I'm going to go back, and i got to go back to the store and purchase this. Could you watch Dax for me? I don't know you from Adam. I don't have a clue who you are, but I'm choosing to trust you with some of, the things, some of my most precious resources. That, that's foolish, right? That's foolish. And for the record, God is not asking for that kind of trust. But what he's asking for is to walk life with us. And then for us to not have such short memories that we forget the past. So the question I ask is, how has God dealt with you in the past? For some of us, maybe the story is, well, you know, I haven't had a track record with God. And so I, for you, I'd, I'd ask you to consider the first point that I made of consider the idea that, that we need to have, we need to accept the peace that God has offered us, right? We need to put our faith, we need to put our trust in Jesus. We need to call upon him and ask us to forgive us of our sins and to come into our lives and change us from the inside out. But for those of you who have done that, then I ask you over the years, maybe you've done that just a few years ago. Maybe you did that a long time ago. How has God been there for you in the past? Can you think of those times that you've had in your life where light bottom, the bottom has just dropped out of your life? You know what? I'm pretty confident standing up here today that if God was in your life, he was there for you during that time. What did he do? How did he work through it? Oh, he might not have made it, you know, he might not have made you travel back in time where you never had to experience the hurt or the pain or the frustration. But I'm going to tell you this, if you've walked through that with God, you're a better person today than you were when you started. I know that. I know that. I'm confident in saying that. I'm going to say this, that God has a way, if you've walked through him, through the valley of the shadow of death, God has a way when you come to the other side where you say, even though my world was falling apart, God's peace was there with me, and I'm better for having walked through it. 
Maybe you just are coming up short because you are, you are short-minded. You, your memory is short-lived. I would ask you and invite you, how has God dealt with his people in the past? If you find yourself having difficulty going, God, I just, I, right now the, wor- the wind is swirling around me so much, I'm just having difficulty even thinking about how you've been faithful in my life in the past five years or 10 years or 15, fine, that's fine, we're humans, we're there, we have those kinds of flaws. Go into his word and see how he's faithful to his people. There is never a case anywhere here in all of holy writ where we can see a person say, yep, yep, I laid it out there for God and he he left me, he left me high and dry. I was sitting there, and I took the fall for God. No, no. He has been faithful to his people over and over and over again. He brings peace into people, not by making life quiet, not by making life pain-free, but by inserting and injecting his presence into our lives in a way that only God can do. And he makes the difference. Pastor John started us out this, uh, this morning with John 16.33, and I think it's only right for us to conclude with John 16.33. And Jesus is talking to his people, to his followers, to his most trusted friends in that upper room right before the arrest happens. And he said, I've told you these things. I've told you. He, was, he spent a great deal of time talking about what was soon to happen, talking about how the Holy Spirit was going to come in, talking about how they were going to, to, to one day be once he rose from the dead. And he said, I've told you these things so that, you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. And John said it absolutely correct. Nowhere do we find in the scriptures where Jesus promises that if you put your faith in him, you will will experience nothing but peace and nothing but happiness and nothing but joy and you will have no trials. No, the scriptures do the exact opposite, don't they? The scriptures say, hey, they almost, it's almost like they're trying to talk us out of having faith in Christ because you get the sense that by, by putting Christ in your life, in some ways we're inviting some trouble into our lives some warfare that we would normally not have. And Jesus is saying, in this world, there's going to be trouble. You're going to have tough times. Don't be shocked when they happen. Life is hard. It's scary and frustrating at times and very painful. But we have each other. We have the Holy Spirit. And we have Jesus. We have Jesus. That's the reason I can say and why I've been saying that when we choose Jesus, we choose life. So friends, don't push away from Jesus in those tough times. Don't make yourself distant from the living God. Don't push away from other Christ followers during those tough times. Don't push away and make yourself distant from his word because it's those things that will bring peace into your life in the midst of the conflict. And I just want to conclude today by in asking you a very simple question, and that is how can the people of God, 
be praying for you. You should have received, <laughs> you should have received a, a message on the app today, which it asks a simple question. How can we pray for you? I'd invite you to go to that. It will allow you to space to write. And this is what I'll say to you. Uh, if you look at that app and it's there, whatever you put, 100% confidential. And you're not because I'm like, I'm a better person than other pastors and I just won't tell your secret. No, when it comes back to me, it's going to come back anonymous. I won't have a clue who you are. It's just going to show up in a text message from a, a generated, a text message generated from PushPay. So not from your phone, right? And it's going to come up there. What I'm going to do is this. I'm asking people, how can we pray? And this is my commitment to you. If there is a situation you're in right now where you're saying, Tony, I need God's peace. I need God's peace in my life. I invite you to record that situation or share with how we can be praying for God's peace to be in your life, how you can experience that. And what I'm going to do is just wait about 24 hours to collect those responses. And then I'm going to just create a list and I'm going to send it to our prayer team. Okay? I'm going to send those things to our prayer team. So, so know that we will be praying for you, but we won't necessarily know who you are. And so I invite you to, uh, to participate in that. If there is some specific way we can pray for you, God's people, praying that you would experience his peace in a way that is real, in a way that is felt, in a way where you can say at the end of the day, not that God protected you from all pain and all terrible things, but that he walked through it with you every step of the way. That's the promise God gives us. Pray with me right now. Father, we come before you, and we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you don't sugarcoat anything for us. You make it very clear. Your son made it very clear that in this world, in this world, we're going to be in trouble at times. In this world, we're going to experience failure. In this world, we're going to experience pain. In this world, we're going to experience want. In this world, we're going to experience heartache. But we are not alone. We're not without means. And we're not without hope because your son walks right alongside of us and understands, understands everything we're going through. Your Holy Spirit is within our lives, counseling us, giving us insight for the best path, the best course to take to make the wisest calls in this world. Help us to apply these principles and these thoughts into our lives and help us to take hope, knowing that no matter what the situation is, we can experience your peace, oh God. These things I pray in your son's powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.